This is Inputs, the podcast by Top Crop Manager, Canada's national source for the latest agronomic research, crop production, and technology trends. You've tuned in to hear conversations about relevant research, best production practices, and everything in between. Inputs, the podcast by Top Crop Manager, is sponsored by Economics. To quickly make sense of today's crop nutrition research and maximize your return on investment, visit nutrien-economics.com. That's economics with a K. Hi, I'm Stephanie Gordon, Associate Editor for Top Crop Manager. Thank you for joining us for today's episode where we're going to do a pulse check on the pea industry. For the first half of the podcast, I'm going to be providing some context on the industry and where it's going. For the second half, I'll be speaking with Cassandra Kachuk from the Manitoba Pulse and Soybean Growers, who will provide an agronomy angle to the topic. But first, some context. Early in 2019, Winnipeg-based mercantile consulting venture predicted that more producers would plant peas as prices recover and demand picks up. And in 2019, that's exactly what happened. Canadian producers seeded 4.3 million acres of dry peas, which represents an almost 20% increase from the year before. And most of this increase was concentrated in Saskatchewan. However, this forecasted recovery is partly due to a five-year low for the industry in 2018. So is it really growth if it's starting at rock bottom? According to reports by Bloomberg, the price of peas soared to record highs in 2016, only to tumble more than half in 2018. They wrote that this is because an increase in production led to a global glut that lowered prices. It also resulted in India, one of the world's biggest pea consumers, slapping tariffs on imports in an effort to protect its own domestic market. Since last year, prices have recovered. FarmCo data shows that the price of yellow peas is up 19% since then. On a related note, the cost of nitrogen fertilizer is also up. So as pea prices recover, it's possible that more growers are turning towards growing pulse crops, like peas. Pulse crops fix their own nitrogen and do not require adding much nitrogen fertilizer. They're a good option if you're looking to reduce fertilizer costs. But the interest in growing peas might also be increasing because of three major announcements coming into fruition in 2020. Two years ago, France-based company Roquette revealed its plans to build a $400 million pea processing facility near Portage la Prairie in Manitoba. The plant was supposed to be in operation this year, uh, but it was delayed until the end of 2020. Uh, Roquette says they want to build the plant right the first time, and they invested an additional $200 million in its development. So from reading the latest local Portage News reports, Roquette is currently hosting job fairs throughout the fall to fill its various plant positions. And a rep in the article said that they are on track to be fully operational by the end of 2020. They won't be the only pea processing facility operating in Manitoba, though. In May of this year, Burkhan Nutriscience Corp said that they are also opening a $65 million protein processing plant near Winnipeg. It will be smaller than Roquette's plant, but it will process 20,000 ton of pea and canola protein once it's up and running, also in mid-2020. Both processing plants will produce pea protein, which is used for almost everything. Pea protein is used in dairy alternative products, protein bars, weight management, and meal replacement products, sports drinks, and vegetarian and vegan foods. Some of the pea protein coming out of Roquette's plants will also be used in pharmaceutical products. For many who have allergies, pea protein is a dairy-free, soy-free, gluten-free way to boost the protein content of foods. The protein is also used in processed foods as a binding ingredient. For example, the protein can be a substitute for the egg that is usually added to burgers to keep it from falling apart. 
The third announcement that's coming in 2020 was made this summer. In August 2019, Cargill announced that it's investing 75 million in the North American pea protein producer Purus. You might not have heard of Purus, but Purus is well known for supplying the pea protein for the Beyond Meat burgers. So this $75 million investment will go toward retrofitting an existing facility in Dawson, Minnesota. It is also triple an earlier investment of $25 million that Cargill made last year in 2018. And just six hours south of Winnipeg, this expanded plant will also be operational in 2020. Now, why is everyone all of a sudden spending millions on pea processing facilities? There wouldn't be this expanded supply if there wasn't also an increase in demand. Currently, meat alternatives account for 5% of meat purchases in the United States, but the investment management firm Bernstein expects this to triple in the coming decade. Across the board, uh, I was reading various articles and they were all stating that the demand for pea protein is growing more because consumers are interested in healthier food and sustainability. At an event held in Portage la Prairie, Martin Schweizer from Burkhan, who are the ones building the processing facility near Winnipeg, said that protein is the most sought out nutrient by US shoppers. He was quoted as saying, more companies are using plant proteins because customers want it that way. From the manufacturer's perspective, plants are more available than animal sources, they're available at a lower price, and they're more stable and sustainable. Even though plant proteins have a lower nutritional value than animal proteins, the manufacturers are gonna follow their consumer demand. And actually on that note, yesterday I saw the news that Tim Hortons is cutting its Beyond Meat products from its menu, except in Ontario and BC. And this might not have anything to do with the demand for you know, meat alternatives in general. It could just be more of a byproduct of you know, a coffee company trying to sell burgers. That aside, we know that consumers in general are demanding pea protein. So where are we in terms of producing peas? On a global level, Canada has been the top producer of field peas for the past six years. We account for 30% of global production ahead of Russia and the United States, who also ranked high for field pea production. When it comes to production within Canada, Saskatchewan accounts for half of the dry pea production, Alberta for a little less than half, and Manitoba? Manitoba only accounts for 3% of the country's pea production, which kind of makes you wonder, can it supply all the new plants coming in 2020? The Roquette plant in Portage la Prairie will require 125,000 tons of yellow peas, but the province only produced around 80,000 tons in 2017 and around 105,000 tons in 2018. So in summary, not enough to meet plant demand. But Manitoba is predicted to produce over 150,000 tons for 2019, which does meet the plant's needs. This amount is still low when compared to the approximately 2.3 million tons Saskatchewan is estimated to produce for 2019 as well. On top of that, Manitoba's production levels have to be able to satisfy two plants. And while none of these plants are up and running just yet, these factors can make a difference when you're planning your future rotations, knowing that there is a demand in Manitoba for peas. Now let's get to the nitty gritty, the agronomy of it. Joining us is Cassandra Kacek, a production specialist with the Manitoba Pulse and Soybean Growers on what's involved in growing peas. Hi, Cassandra. Thanks for taking the time to chat today. Thanks for having me. So tell us a bit about where you're based and the work you do. Well, I'm based out of the heart of Manitoba, but I cover mostly the eastern half of the province, just basically communicating with our farmer membership um, and helping them produce their pulse and soybean crops. 
And have you heard any growing interest for peas from producers, maybe in your area, after the announcement of the new two uh, pea protein plants to be built? Yes, we've definitely seen some growing interest. We've had a lot of questions come in from farmers, a lot of interest in farmers wanting to grow them for the first time in 2019, or even some farmers that grew them years ago and they want to try them again for the first time uh, in several years. You know, we conducted a Twitter poll the other day asking people if they were more interested in growing peas because of the news as well. And a majority of people actually said no. Only 35% had said yes, and about 20% of people had said it depends. So what are some of the concerns people have about starting to grow peas? Well, I think especially for the farmers that would have grown them years ago, they may have experienced some disease pressure. And I know that back in 2016, we saw an increase in pea acres in Manitoba due to some really enticing grain prices. And unfortunately, it was a really wet year. And that was not the best situation for peas, where we actually, uh, many of the acres grown had insurance claims. So it just wasn't the best year. And that may have scared some people off. So let's talk about some of these basics. Like how long is a growing season for peas? When do people typically plant and harvest the crop? So the growing season lasts anywhere from planting in mid-April all the way to mid-May although some of the more ideal planting times are late April, and it can go until harvest in early to mid-August. So a fairly short growing season for peas compared to some of the other crops in Manitoba. And early planting is more suitable for peas because they are tolerant to frost, and it helps them avoid some of the hot conditions that we experience in Manitoba during flowering, which can cause flower abortion. Mm -hmm. And so Overall, how tolerant is pea to weather conditions like you were saying, frost or drought or really rainy weather? Right. So the growing point for pea plants is located below ground. So that makes them quite tolerant to frost. So even if plants are damaged, they can regrow from their below ground growing points. I mentioned wet conditions are not great for peas. We sometimes say they don't like wet feet. And that's really just related to the disease pressure or root rot that can occur in wet conditions. But when we think about dry conditions, they actually really like that, which is why we see more acres in western Manitoba and in Saskatchewan, because they are very conducive to dry conditions. Mm -hmm. And you spoke a little bit about disease pressure. Are there any varieties um, that could help with that or that are very um, that are particularly popular in your region? or better suited for the Manitoba conditions? Well, for the diseases that I'm talking about, particularly aphanomyces or fusarium root rots, we don't have resistance to those diseases just yet. Uh, there may be something coming out in future years. I know there's a lot of interest in these diseases. So unfortunately, seed treatments would be more so your um, protection against those. But we do have a lot of resistance in our varieties to powdery mildew, um, and mycosphorella blight, which is another disease of concern. Is that just the total list of disease concerns for peas? Are there other disease concerns? And are there some standard seed treatments that are always applied year after year? So I would say there are other diseases that can affect peas, but aphanomyces, fusarium, and mycosphorella blight are the main ones. And I think just because of that potential impact of aphanomyces on yield, um, it if infection levels are high, aphanomyces can do a lot of damage. So I think seed treatment is fairly standard for pea crops, 
but that also depends on your risk of disease development. What are some of the best practices for seeding? Uh, narrow rows, seeding rows, seeding depth, what are we seeing that works really well? Well, all of the yellow pea varieties we grow here are now semi-leafless varieties. So that means they don't branch out and narrow rows are more ideal and higher populations as well are better suited to the plant tendrils grabbing onto one another and closing canopy that way. So that provides better competitive ability against weeds since these plants are not naturally good competitors against weeds. Our current recommendation based on the most recent research is to target a plant stand of 80 to 90 live plants per meter squared. So this translates to about 350 to 400,000 live plants per acre. And the seeding rate for peas would of course be adjusted for expected seedling survival and the seed weight. And seed weight is important with peas because it can vary a lot across different seed lots. And then to answer your question about seed depth, we recommend one and a half inches to two and a half inches deep since it is a nice big seed and ensuring that it's in contact with good soil moisture. Mm -hmm. And you talked about how narrow rows are better to help with weed competition. Are there any particular highlights for weed control? Are there any um, herbicide limitations when it comes to growing peas? Right. So for peas, we really highly recommend good pre-emergent weed control. Um, one of the reasons for this is there are a few in-crop options for controlling group 2 resistant weeds. So that might be one reason to avoid pea production on that particular field, but you can grow them there if you have good pre-emergent weed control. Um, and a caution about in-crop herbicide application, most broadleaf products need to be applied at the second to sixth above ground node stages. So we have seen it in the past where late application of herbicides can injure peas. Do you feel like there is a large window for that or the penalty is quite severe if you're late with the application? It can be quite subtle. Uh, sometimes it just appears as a slightly stunted or slightly behind crop, um, but there can be some yield loss from late application. Um, I think where we run into issues is with confusion over staging the crop. So we talk about plant nodes, um, but with peas and a couple other pulse crops, you can have below ground nodes that don't count in your herbicide timing. So we've actually put together a brand new uh, visual pea staging guide and maturity guide just to help farmers correctly identify that node stage because sometimes they can advance quickly and there is some confusion over the timing. Mm -hmm. and, and where can people access that resource? That's available on our website at manitobapulse.ca. And we also distribute printed copies of that fact sheet at various farmer meetings. Mm -hmm. So, you know, weeds aside, when it comes to um, a fertilizer strategy, uh, I was reading off Pulse Canada that pulses have the ability to fix their own nitrogen, and this also reduces the need to apply nitrogen fertilizer. So what does a fertilizer program look like if you're growing peas, if there is one? Yeah, so we definitely recommend inoculating peas, and with a specific inoculant strain for peas, so that is rhizobium leguminoserum. Um, and this is to facilitate nitrogen fixation, kind of like we would with our soybean crops that we produce. Uh, in some cases, starter nitrogen at rates less than 15 pounds per acre can improve that early season growth of the crop before nitrogen fixation kicks in. 
Mm-hmm. And then I'd like to direct listeners to this other fact sheet that we have produced. It's our field P production guidelines. So it's a one pager front and back of everything you need to know about peas. And it includes some of the uptake and removal rates of other nutrients as well. Mm-hmm. And for those that are listening, I'll be sure to include the resources that you're mentioning in the online web article that we'll be posting um, this podcast on. So uh, for anyone looking for those resources after, you can just head on over to our website and check them out there. So in terms of uh, rotation, so another resource that I saw was the Manitoba Agricultural Services Corporation. They published their resource on the most profitable crop rotations. So when they actually looked at whether or not certain rotations offered a yield opportunity for the next crop, they saw really good results with field pea. Uh, so crops like spring wheat, oat, barley, canola, flax, when that was planted into field pea stubble, there was a yield improvement. So with this in mind, and for growers not currently growing any peas, how can peas fit into their existing rotation, knowing that there's a benefit for the crops that they're planting after? Right. So it is true that peas can be seeded into a wide range of stubble types. And this is direct seeded or not, and they can do really well. So that's one thing we really like about peas. They are a robust crop early in the season. But I would say that one unknown we have about peas in Manitoba rotations is how they might fit with soybeans. So soybeans are still a relatively new crop. We haven't seen a lot of pea and soybean production within one rotation. So that's something we're just kind of keeping an eye on and trying to learn more about. Uh, Other things we do know about peas fitting into our rotations is that they are a low residue crop. So this provides a nice break from some of the heavier residue crops that we grow in Manitoba, like wheat and corn. Uh, If you're not growing soybeans, peas are another legume option. So like you said, they have the ability to fix atmospheric nitrogen, which reduces some of the need for nitrogen fertilizer. And then the local delivery options that are popping up make it easier to incorporate into rotations on the marketing end of things. Mm-hmm. And you're right about soybeans, because when I was doing my research, um, the studies that were cited uh, showing the higher yields and quality in the following crop planted after peas, it was in crops like wheat, canola, barley, which um, they saw benefits to those particular crops when they were going after pulses, but nothing really about soybeans. So it's interesting that you brought that up. Um, Aside from like a yield benefit for the next uh, crop, are there other agronomic benefits to adding peas in the rotation? I would say time management actually is one of the big benefits and that's at seeding and harvest. So as I mentioned, peas can be seeded a bit earlier, sort of spreading out how much time you spend seeding or it's sort of spreads out that go time uh, might be a little easier on farmers. And then they're harvested slightly earlier than canola and wheat. So that time management piece might be nice. Um, As I mentioned, they can be seeded into a lot of different stubble types. So um, they're a robust crop early in the season, but also late in the season because of that low residue. So some of these things kind of, they're a, a benefit to adding it in the rotation. And I would like to note that Manitoba already has relatively long and diverse rotations compared to some of the other growing regions. Um, So peas, they add a bit more variety in our rotation, but we're already doing pretty well with diversity. That's actually really good to hear because, you know, crop rotation, they say it over and over again about the benefits of a longer rotation for like disease control, soil health. So that's actually really good news to hear. 
And um, in terms of time management being a plus, I'm seeing that now because we're based in Ontario and a lot of people are talking about how a late uh, soybean harvest could delay their winter wheat planting. So I can definitely see how time management uh, is a benefit uh, in terms of your rotation planning, agronomy aside. Uh, so what what should producers keep in mind at harvest? Are any desiccants used, uh, an ideal moisture level? What are the things to keep in mind during harvest? I would say that desiccation is common practice in peas. Uh, we always recommend um, keeping in touch with your buyer for any restrictions. I know that Rockettes may have some restrictions on which products you can or can't use. We also refer people to the keepingitclean.ca website for information on any potential market restrictions. And this has been a really um, charged topic this past year or two. And I would say this is a really important one to keep an eye on when you're choosing desiccation products in particular. Uh, But as far as timing goes, peas are ready to desiccate or swath when 75 to 80% of pods are yellow to golden brown in color. Uh, Another indicator of the right timing is seeds in the lower pods rattle and seed moisture is 30%. Uh, we recommend harvest when seed moisture is less than 20%, and this is about three to 10 days post desiccation. Yeah, and and you were actually right about Rockhead having um, extra, I guess, extra guidelines for their growers to follow. Because when I was researching about the plant, they had said how they want to, um, they want their suppliers to grow peas sustainably. So they actually are looking to partner with growers who are able to track everything. Uh, from the fields that they're growing in to how they're managed, the bins are stored in, and the trucks that they're used to transport them in. So if you're a grower and you're thinking about partnering with Rockhead, just know that sustainability is top of mind for them, and they really want to partner with uh, like-minded growers. So, uh, And also the Keeping It Clean initiative, that's also um, really big in our industry right now, especially with all the market access uh, issues coming up as well. So if you could compare peas to another crop, what crop is it most similar to growing? I would say that peas are a relatively unique crop overall. Um, First thought might be soybeans since it's a legume crop or similar to other pulse crops. If I had to pick one, I would maybe say lentils, Uh, but we don't grow a lot of lentils in Manitoba. So that would be still relatively new to a lot of growers and soybeans differ a lot from peas, especially in that growing season length. So I would say peas are pretty unique. Well, that's good to know. What do you think your top three takeaways for anyone kind of interested for more information or interested in growing peas in the next coming years? I would say um, seek out the market opportunities first. Uh, Make sure you have a clear marketing plan on where they're going to end up going. Uh, Number two, I know aphanomyces is a big concern. I didn't get into this earlier, but wide crop rotations are something that you might need to really keep an eye on for aphanomyces control. If it is established in a field, um, it can wipe out crops, as I mentioned earlier. So the current recommendation is anywhere from six to eight years between pea crops if you have established aphanomyces in your field. Um, But I will note that Dr. Shama Chatterton at Egg Canada in Lethbridge is currently looking at this and looking at validating that recommendation and, and how much think, the disease declines after years of growing peas. And sorry, and do you think that a lot of the growers who had that experience, they are probably more hesitant to get back into growing peas knowing that they need to kind of wait it out a little longer? 
I think it's definitely one of the main sources of hesitation among farmers. In your top three takeaways, the number two was about disease. What would be your final takeaway? These last couple of years have been drier in Manitoba and better suited to growing peas or other pulse crops that prefer those drier conditions. But I would just say watch out for the wet conditions. We might be in a bit of a dry cycle, but it really does come and go in Manitoba. And as we saw in 2016, and again, going back to this aphanomyces or fusarium root rot risk, the wet conditions are really not great for peas. So I would just keep an eye on that and make sure that you're selecting fields carefully for this crop. Mm -hmm. If only we could predict the weather. Thing about peas, is it hype? Is it is it an actual trend that's happening that's sustainable? Like that's up to you know, you as a producer to decide based on, you know, a multitude of factors. Um, so I'm not going to make any statements on that. Um, but if you're thinking about switching up the rotation, starting peas or growing more of them, there are plenty of resources at your disposal with the Manitoba Pulse and Soybean Growers or Ag Canada or online. And I just want to say thank you, Cassandra, for joining me today and answering the questions. Do you have any final thoughts? I would just, again, encourage farmers to follow the best management practices, use the tools at hand, and Saskatchewan Pulse Growers, their website and resources are another great source of information. Yeah, good to mention. Thank you so much. Thank you very much. Thanks for tuning in to Inputs, the podcast by Top Crop Manager. Special thanks to our podcast sponsor, Economics. To quickly make sense of today's crop nutrition research and maximize your return on investment, visit nutrien-economics.com. That's economics with a K. To catch up on all of our episodes, visit topcropmanager.com slash podcasts.